It's a great privilege to be together with the people of God this morning to honor and worship Him, to remember His Son, to encourage one another in our faith. And if you're here visiting this morning to join with us in those things, we're really privileged to have you with us. And uh, it's, it's just a, a great thing, again, to experience worshiping the God of heaven and to be in His presence and to think for a while this morning about eternity itself and about being prepared for eternity. Uh, we are, all of us, mortals, everyone in this room, but we're headed for immortality. And so this morning, we want to talk about if we're ready for that last step, the last step we'll take in this life to the next life. If you've ever watched a movie where they start in the beginning of the movie by showing you the end of the movie, you ever seen one of those? <laughs> Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that this morning. Uh, let's, let's start at the end. Let's look together at 1 Peter chapter 1. That's not on the screen, but uh, let's look for a minute at 1 Peter chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I, I want to tell you that a religion that does not help you deal with your mortality is worthless. There are a lot of religions in the world that are like that. Some of the major religions, I think, don't really help you deal with mortality in a very constructive way. Hinduism basically says, well, you just keep on getting recycled over and over again <laughs> until finally you become something. When and what that is, we're not really sure. Buddhism suggests that we just kind of are absorbed into a nothingness. I don't see how that helps us. Other religions have some different ideas. But it is, it is Christianity that gives human beings a reasonable hope of eternal life. And it helps us deal with being mortal so that we might become immortal. So in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, let me share with you how it does that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the thing is, Christianity has a living founder. We believe that Jesus Christ is alive. We believe, as we, we've sung, that he, he died. <clears throat> he died on a cross. But that he rose again. And he lives yet today. The person who's writing this is a man by the name of Peter, who saw the resurrected Lord multiple times. He talks about that here. He knows that Jesus is risen. And because of that, he has, and we have, a living hope. It's a real thing. Hope for life beyond this life. He says, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So we have a home in heaven to look forward to. And that home in heaven is not a place of material that will eventually dissolve. It is a place of eternal rest and eternal being. He describes it as it's incorruptible and undefiled. That's what we're looking forward to. 
And I say to you again that a religion that does not help you come to terms with your mortality in such a positive way is not worth anything. But the religion of Jesus Christ is worth everything. Because if you miss heaven, you've just missed it all. Back in the Old Testament, in the book of 1 Samuel, out of fear for his life in chapter 20, David fled from King Saul to his dearest friend, Jonathan, who was King Saul's son. Jonathan was certain that David was mistaken about his father's intentions, Saul's intentions to harm him, and so he tries to calm David down. But in 1 Samuel 20 and verse 3, David responds to Jonathan, expressing a very real sense of the nearness of death when he said, But truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. There is just a step between this world and the world to come. Just a step between me and death. It's near to me. David realizes that. David would not die for some nearly 40 years from this point on. And yet, you get the sense in all of his life for most of the time, he realized he was certainly mortal. And he realized that he could pass from this world at any moment into the great beyond and into the hand of God. And so David realized something that you and I need to understand even today. And that is that death is an inevitable step, first of all. It's, it's not something that can be avoided. And I, I, I don't want to be uh, maudlin or get everybody depressed. That's not the point of this lesson at all. But the reality of it is, and the reality that we have to deal with, and that, as I said, our, our religion helps us deal with, is that death is real. It is inescapable. It is inevitable. The psalmist in Psalm 89 and verse 48 asks, What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? And of course, rhetorical questions, certainly not. All come to death. Job 30 and verse 23. Job talking to God says, I know you will bring me to death and to the house appointed for all living. I'll just pause. We'll say something else about that in a minute. The house appointed for all living. That's a a strange thing to say after he says, (laughs) you're going to bring me to death, but you're also going to bring me to the house appointed for all living. There's something beyond that. There's a residence, a place to stay. But death is an appointment that we all must keep. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment, Hebrews 9 and verse 27 And those who are alive, though, I understand, you say, well, not everybody's going to die, right? There will be people alive when Christ comes again. And what will happen when he comes again is that we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. This mortality will put on immortality. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 50 and 51 that we shall all be changed. Death is inevitable, or at least the passing from this life to the next life. Death is just a short step because life is just a brief time. James writes in James chapter 4 and verse 13 in the familiar passage, 
He warns us about making plans too far into the future without taking God into account because the future is not in our hands. It's in the hands of God. And he says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and buy and sell, make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. Nobody knows what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For a little time. Notice the word little. For a little time. And then vanishes away. I looked out the other morning and there was a bit of fog. I was going to have to get out that day. I thought, wow, there's going to be fog out there. I'm going to have to drive through the fog. Uh, Got myself ready, got my shower, went out the door. No fog. That's like a human life. The mist is there and then it's gone. We could pass any of us at any time. I think most all of us realize that. It might be in the next minute, it might be today, it might be next week, it might be next year. For some, it could be many, many years from now. But our lives can end in an instant. Some sort of unforeseen accident, some natural disaster. Every time the tornado warning comes, you know, we think about that, right? (laughs) We can have natural disasters around here. Maybe a terrorist attack. That's not too far from something that could really happen. But more commonly, pass away suddenly from a heart attack or a stroke or slowly from cancer. Maybe some infectious disease gets you, some microorganism. Maybe it's COVID or the flu or AIDS or whatever it is. Maybe it's a a plane crash or an auto crash. Thousands of people die every year in car crashes. Or maybe it's some new disease. We had COVID. Maybe we would have a new disease that's even worse than that. Who knows? Well, God, but not anybody else. We don't. And so death is a short step. It's inevitable. It could happen anytime. And we live best when we are aware that death is near. The Bible is really clear about that. That mortality and an awareness, an awareness of, mort- of mortality prepares us for immortality. Being aware of our mortality prepares us for immortality. And so the psalmist will write, Psalm 90, which is a psalm of Moses. Moses asks ask God, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I use this verse a lot at funerals. I've thought a lot about that phrase, teach us to number our days. What does he mean by that? What account our days and the relative brevity of the time that we have, but also to make our days count. Because if we count our days, we're going to realize that we need to make our days count for something. Teach us to number our days, he says. The psalmist in Psalm 39 and verse 4 Ask God, Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. We have to come to terms with human frailty. That we are none of us going to live forever in this body, in this world. 
Let me know my end, the measure of my days, and how frail I am. John Climacus, who was a 7th century ascetic, wrote a book entitled The Ladder of Divine Ascent, talking about coming closer to God. And he urged Christians to use the reality of death to their benefit every day. Here's what he wrote. He said, you cannot pass a day devoutly unless you think of it as your last. I think he may have had something. Not just to live as if this could be my last day but to think of it as my last day. And what would I do since it is my last day? Boy, that would change our behavior, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that help us be more devout? Wouldn't that help us be ready, ready to take that last step at any moment into the world beyond? Ecclesiastes tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 2 that it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting for that is the end of all men and the living will take it to heart sorrow is better than laughter by a sad countenance the heart is made better the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth it's a better thing to go to the funeral home than it is to the laugh factory Because the funeral home will help us think about what we need to be as we prepare for that inevitability. Someone has said that a man who has heard himself sentenced to death is not going to worry about how the theaters are run. If you realize how brief your time is and that death could very well be imminent, It's going to motivate you to be concerned about important things. It's going to motivate you to get your priorities straight. We're so wadded up in so many things in this world that don't amount to, as my dad would say, a hill of beans. Don't make any difference in eternity. Won't make any difference in eternity. And we get all concerned about these things at work, about politics, about this and that. Our, our, our pleasures and our entertainments as well, our possessions. If we're living as though today were our last, if we're living realizing that we're just a step from eternity, I think it would reorder our priorities. And I'd like you to think about that this morning, about reordering your priorities. What's really important? as you think about eternity and what will be valuable to you when you meet God. My dad used to say, all of us have uh, one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel. And I believe that's a good way to live. Well, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. 
Roman, Revelation, rather, chapter 14 and verse 13. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Peter had written. He gives us this hope. The hope of a life after this life based on the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord then. Revelation 14, 13. That they may rest from their labors. Yes, there's the Spirit. For their works do follow them. In the Lord. The key there is blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Not blessed are all of the dead. But blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. What does it mean to be in the Lord? Well, it means to be, first of all, where every spiritual blessing is. Every spiritual blessing is in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. How do we get then into Christ? How can we be in the Lord? Those of you who have heard me preach for some time realize I use these two passages quite often. But there are only two places in the whole New Testament that have the phrase into Christ, that tell us what to do to get into Christ. There are a lot of verses that talk about being in Christ and abiding in Christ, but only two that tell us what to do to get into Christ. And they both say the same thing. In Romans chapter 3, verses 3 and following, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ? We get into Christ, we get into Christ in baptism when baptism operates by faith. And so in Galatians chapter 3, notably, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. How do you get into Christ? How do you put on Christ? You're baptized into Him on the basis of your faith. That's when you come into this secure relationship with God. That's when you enter into every spiritual blessing in Christ. And that's when you're ready to die in the Lord because you're in the Lord. You're not ready to meet Him. You're not able to die in the Lord until you're first in the Lord. Right? So first we must get into the Lord, into Christ. In the Lord, you're in the presence of God, whether you're living or dying. Psalm 48, the psalmist realized this is God, our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to death. God will be with us and show us even to and through death. Paul will write in Romans 14 and verse 8, If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. God is with us in this life and the life to come when we're in Christ. This is a great blessing, one of the great spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And of course, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, in verse 21, he says, For me to live is, is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul is faced with a dilemma. He's in prison. He thinks he might be put to death while in prison. I believe eventually he probably was. But he thinks also that maybe he'll continue on and work with Christians like the Philippians. He says, really, it doesn't matter for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. 
If I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two, he says, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is very far better, but also to live on, he says, would be for your profit. In eternity, it's like real estate. Location is everything. Okay? In eternity, it's all where you're located. Are you going to be located in the Lord, in the presence of God, or are you going to be banished from his presence? One of those places is called heaven, and the other of those places is called hell. Hell is fundamentally, more than anything else, away from the presence of God. Banished from his presence for all eternity. Heaven is being in his presence. I read a story sometime back of a young business owner was opening a new branch office. A friend had decided to send him a floral arrangement. And the friend then went to the, the grand opening of this business. And he saw his floral arrangement there. Uh, but unfortunately, it was the wrong floral arrangement. It said, rest in peace on it. And of course, the guy complained to the florist. He said, you sent, you sent the wrong arrangement to my friend's grand opening. Uh, and the florist said, well, look at it this way. After he apologized, he said, look at it this way. Somewhere, there's a grave with a, a wreath on top of it that says, good luck in your new location. Good luck in your new location, right? But it's, it's not luck, obviously. I make light, and we shouldn't probably. Where's your location going to be in the world to come? And, and see if you know where that's going to be. Then that last step, although it may be painful and hard, is not nearly so dreadful. Because it's the last step that will take you to heaven. And that's the point of all of that. In the Lord, there's hope of being in his presence forever. And that is indeed comforting. Paul writes to the Thessalonians and says in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 17, We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. When the Lord comes again, those who are his and who are still alive, they're just going to be caught up to be with him. He's not coming back to set up a kingdom on earth. He's coming back to reclaim his kingdom and to take those who are citizens of his kingdom to be with him forever. It's what the Bible plainly teaches. Therefore, we're told, comfort one another with these words. <clears throat> Comforting indeed is the thought that we'll go and be with the Lord forever. It's accredited to Francis of Assisi, but I'm 100% sure that he did not write it. We call it the prayer of Francis. The end of it, though, the lines go like this. It is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. It is in dying that we are born. And that is our hope. And that is our comfort. Jesus himself said, 
you know, unless a seed dies and is planted, it's never going to bring forth fruit. When we die, we're planted toward a glorious resurrection, toward becoming what God created us ultimately to be in his presence. In the Lord, we have a home. In the Lord, we have every spiritual blessing. We have his presence. We have comfort and all of that because we have a home. John 14, one of the most well-known passages in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go, he says, to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's coming to bring us home with him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. We know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Please notice the last part of that. Paul doesn't say, wow, I'm really dreading this. (laughs) I, I really... I can't stand the thought of dying. I can't stand the thought of leaving this world. That's not what he's saying. Paul, Paul, as much as anybody, understood that the process of dying can be painful and horrible. He'd he'd witnessed it. He probably would have experienced it himself at the end of his life. He's not longing for that suffering. But he's longing for a home. And he says, I'm I'm groaning, I'm earnestly desiring. I just want that so badly. We sang a song before we began this lesson. Each step I take. I want to tell you about that song. The song was written by a man by the name of Elmo Mercer. He was never on Sesame Street. But his name was Elmo. Elmo Mercer. People called him Mo. He was born in 1932. And he wrote the words of that song when he was 19 years old. Lived in Nashville, Tennessee. In November of 2020, he died in Nashville, Tennessee, presumably of COVID. When he was 19, he was going through a hard patch in his life. Didn't know if he could keep going at 19, right? (laughs) Each step I take, my Savior goes before me. And with his loving hand, he leads the way. And with each breath, I whisper, I adore thee. Oh, what joy to walk with him each day. Each step I take, I know that he will guide me to higher ground. He ever leads me on until someday the last step will be taken. Each step I take just leads me closer home.
That's the beauty of our hope. If you don't have that hope this morning because you're outside of Christ, we encourage you to make a decision to get into Christ by believing in Him as your Savior and as your Lord, turning away from whatever's amiss in your life and being baptized for the remission of your sins. We've never done that. Now's the moment. Now's the time. Take a step in the aisle and come toward me and we'll talk and you'll have the opportunity to be baptized for the remission of your sins so that you'll be ready for the last step. Please come while we stand and while we sing.